Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. Even this week when we were in uh, staff prayer, the word that kept coming out on repeat was restoration. Restoration. And we're in a, you know, this actually was our two-year marker of kind of when everything shut down um, with COVID and all of that stuff globally. And I feel such a strong sense in my heart that there's been this constant, from that moment, from that, those first announcements where what was spoken out globally was, you need to stay away from people, you need to guard yourself, you need to guard them, you know, and, and out of legitimate safety. But what has happened over the course of a couple years is that we, we actually are finding ourselves with, we've got limitations on how much we can handle being around other people, um, how much we're willing to let them in. There's been struggles financially, there's been struggles health-wise, there's been losses, there's been a bunch of stuff. And legitimately, there's been, uh, you know, God's been doing great stuff in the midst of it, but there has been been this turtling effect, I believe, that has happened. And we really purposefully need to press into God and allow the restoration process to happen. So for those who have been feeling, I felt like even this morning as we were praying, um, you know, there's some that your emotions have even been just a little bit off. And the reason is because what you have faced in the last couple of years has assaulted your emotions so aggressively that in order to survive, you have internally decided I'm not going to react. I can do this. Suck it up. You can handle it. It's not going to last forever. Well, you know what? Today's the day we need to just unfold a little bit and allow the Lord to do the work of restoration, to rebuild in us what needs to be rebuilt. And the thing is, when God restores, he restores better than ever before. So I just want to encourage you today, press into it. I, I know it's like a, we, we don't want to say, we don't want to say that we're in a bad state, but I believe collectively God is saying, and on this first day of spring, it's a great day for a new beginning, Right? It's a great day to say, God, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. I am tired of being tired all the time. I'm tired of being heavy and weighed down all the time. I'm tired of feeling closed off and angry all the time. I'm tired of feeling resentful. I'm tired of feeling this heavy weight of loss. And today, God, I need to be restored. And so would you stand with me? And we're just going to get into the word in a minute. But I want to just pray over each one of us today as we embark on this. That today is a day of restoration. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So God, today we just step into your word and we decide according to what we've even just heard. What's been sung over our spirits as we've, as we, as we've sang ourselves about coming into your presence and the fact that you are worthy, God. Today we recognize that you are everything. You are everything. You are the beginning and the end. You are the hope that we carry on the inside, God. And where hope has been deferred and the heart has grown sick today, God, I just speak a word of restoration. I declare, God, fullness of life and fullness of health and fullness of strength in Jesus' name. God, even as we are here, we're here in faith today, God, seeking first the kingdom of God and your righteousness, God and we know all these things will be added. So where there's been physical loss, where there's been financial loss, where there's been emotional strain, where there's been trauma, God, we bring it all to you and we determine to seek you first. We seek first your way of doing things, your way of seeing things, your way of engaging things. And God, we're asking that according to your word, all these things would be added to us. Lord, I thank you that we can lay down the specifics as we seek you and you look after the details of our life. And I pray just a release of health and strength over your people today in Jesus' name. Every place that has been bound up by trauma in these last two years, we engage you in that in Jesus' name name. And God, we just declare a release of wholeness over minds, over nervous systems, over emotions today in Jesus' name. Lord, we declare a season of springtime, of new beginnings, of dormant things coming back to life in Jesus' name. And we refuse the hibernation of the past. 
We, we on purpose, God, unfold before you. And we thank you, Lord, that you lead us into the good places that you have for us, that you restore, God, whatever has been stolen by the enemy, it's restored double, God. And I thank you for a time of increase, God, in Jesus' name. Not just restoration to what it was, but restoration to what it should be in you. And we receive it by faith today, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Sometimes you just got to call it like it is, right? Amen. So this morning, we're going to continue on with this kingdom theme. And this has been... Um, I mean, it's, it is the constant topic at our house. Poor Wayne has to deal with it. Walter's almost getting saved, I think. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, this kingdom of God concept, I, I love it because, you know, we, we have come to a place where we know so much. Like, we have access to nonstop podcasts, YouTube videos, teaching stuff, books, materials, whatever. And we can get so lost in the obstacles of, of how we can lay hold of God and how we can learn all this stuff. And the thing about the kingdom is that's the message that Jesus preached. And the gospel of the kingdom is actually pretty simple. I love that. I love that the gospel is attainable by all of us, that we actually don't have to jump through crazy hoops to get to, to figure out what God is doing or what he wants. We just come in and we pursue the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And there's layers and layers and layers of freedom and hope and life. And I know a lot of people have felt like in this last season, you know, and you may have encountered it with friends, family members, coworkers, or whatever, that are like shocked that God is so prominent in your life. But he's really not an add-on, is he? It's the center of everything. He is the center of everything. And his presence in our life changes everything. It's not a Sunday thing. It's a 24-7 thing. It's this relationship that he's called us into. And the thing that I found is that everything, and again, I mean, the world has always got issues. There's always crises of some kind. But when it's like this last couple of years, when it has been everywhere, like everywhere, like you can't, you can't go anywhere without the crises of the world slapping you in the head, you know, and, and even you get in your car and you turn on the radio and the announcements are about certain things and you turn on your phone and the announcements are about certain things and there's just like stuck crisis all around. But everything about God is about life, life, light, wholeness, abundance, joy, peace, strength. It's this life-giving thing that I have found that the, the worse it's gotten in this past season, the more I have been drawn to just isolate myself with him. Because his is the only voice I can stand some days. <laughs> right? It's like, well, he's always got the words of life. He's always got the words of life. And sometimes everybody else doesn't, you know? And so this thing that God's called us into is not an add-on, but it is life and it's life abundantly. So just to give a couple foundation scriptures on why we are pursuing this so aggressively, uh, I frankly believe that God has moved us into a season that will not end. It's going to only increase. And so, you know, look around you right now. We've got the kids out of the room at the moment and look how full it is in here. Y'all are going to need to start coming early if you want the good seats, honestly, because God is doing stuff in people's lives and it's not, we're not just looking for a hangout spot on Sundays. People are being transformed. We are being transformed in his presence. It's amazing and it's his nature. So John 11, 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. It's these words that Jesus speaks. It tells us that the pursuing the kingdom, it takes us past illness. It takes us past disease. It takes us past the finality of life. It takes us past the stuff that wants to squeeze in and bring fear. And it bling, brings us to this place that like, if I live, yay, God's with me. If I die, yay, I'm with God. There's this, there's this thing that's like just life-giving when, when the grip of fear loses a place to land, right? And the presence of Jesus, the nature of Jesus removes the ability for fear to have a place to land, which is incredible. 
John 10, 10, we, we quote this one all the time, but Jesus' portion of it, he says, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. The Passion Translation puts it this way, and I love it. It says, I have come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect. Life in its fullness until you overflow. This kind of life that just pours out of us and into everything around us. Matthew 6, 31 and 33, we just sang it. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we wear? For these things, the gen- after these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. It's not seek these things instead, and you'll figure out how to do without. It's seek him first, and he'll take care of this stuff, because the practical stuff is really not a big issue for God. But he wants our hearts. So we come in and we have this constant pursuit of him, and the more we pursue him, the more we experience the fullness of the kingdom. So the Bible describes a life that is not us generated, it's God generated, but it's man experienced. So God generates the life, we get to live it out, and when we live it out, the people around us, the the life around us should experience the presence of God. It is meant to actually transform us. And this is what we're going to get into today, because this kingdom thing is so much deeper than what I believe, it is about who I am. And the who I am is a big deal. If it's just what I believe, then what I believe, you can take it or leave it. And I can take or leave what you believe. And we all just believe what we believe. And we believe it beside each other, but we don't really agree on anything. My faith is not something I believe. It is who I am. God has transformed me from the inside out. God is transforming you from the inside out. He's not a thought process. He's a being that you have invited to come and dwell in you. And you do life with him. And you have stepped into a new kingdom. So this is not just an add-on. It is a transformative relationship that you will not let go of in Jesus' name. So the kingdom is meant to be experienced and it's meant to be shared. It is meant to be something that impacts those around us. So here's a key. When we learn to live in the kingdom, not just believe in the kingdom, but when we learn to live in the kingdom, we become automatically, there's an automatic product that comes out, we become influencers by default. Because everything that the kingdom is, is life, light, love, joy, peace, It is the fullness of the good stuff of God. There is nothing about God that is is, um, uh, bondage or hurtful in any way. And and a lot of the stuff that God has been accused of is from false teaching entirely, right? God is only good. And so the goodness of God, when I learn to live in that, it becomes this massively attractive thing to the world around me and it influences by default. I don't have to search to be an influencer then. I just live the kingdom and by accident, I, I influence. Does that make sense? So why is it important that the, the body of Christ understand kingdom? Because the world around us is groaning for help, for, uh, uh, for life, for hope, for purpose, for joy. The, the, the depravity around us is a symptom of the absence of light. And where the light is, is compressed, the darkness just carries on and spreads. So as the light begins to fill us and we begin to live and walk in the light, there suddenly becomes this product that begins to change our neighborhoods. I've only recently found, and mainly because of some of the people that awesomely God has found and been healing and restoring, but some of the issues that are going on in our very, very city, you know, things, drug things, gang issues, you know, prostitution issues, stuff like this that is like happening right under our noses while we're all happily just going about our life trying to survive. I believe that the kingdom of God intends for that to change. 
I actually believe that God intends for there to be a release, a freedom that happens as his people stand up and we know whose we are, we know who we are, and we know what he wants to do to the people around us. But as long as we're under this illusion of what our relationship with God is, and we think it's just about this religious belief system, we fail to walk in the kingdom and our eyes are on ourselves and our issues and our problems and our struggles and our bondages, and we can sit there peeling the onion for the rest of our lives. Nobody really wants to do that, right? You don't want to be on onion layer 87. You don't. I I really, truly believe when we grasp the kingdom, we can start taking that onion apart by chunks. There's some, you know, and we get to the root of things. God deals with it. We walk in freedom. People are looking at us going, how is that happening for you? It's God. I mean, we got people in the house right now that are experiencing spontaneous, miraculous deliverance from addictions, alcohol, drugs, uh, smoking, pornography, like spontaneous. How does that happen? We're, it's only God. It is only God. But, but we can spend a lifetime sitting in it, you know, or we can step into the kingdom and let Jesus do what only Jesus can do. And this is the invitation that we have. And so we're going to walk through a few points today, and we're going to start this week and uh, probably finish next week on the keys of the kingdom. And the keys of the kingdom are a really big deal. Um, If you search it out online, you will find (laughs) masses of material, like so, so many books, so much teaching, so many different series. There's, there's keys for finances, there's keys for health, there's keys for relationships, there's keys for everything. Ultimately, if we understand the core concept of the keys of the kingdom, the rest of that stuff ends up being an add-on because it can be overwhelming. If you feel like I really want to live in freedom in my life and you search out, I need the keys of the kingdom to liberate me from bondage and you find out that you actually need to order 95 different book series, you're like, I think I can cope with the chains. It's okay. It's easier than reading that many books. But Jesus was only here for a limited period of time and he set people free on the fly, right? It wasn't, he wasn't like, you're going to have to sign up for a class and you're a little bit of a late starter, so maybe you'll get there before you're 80, but, you know, freedom's coming. No, Jesus walked around and he set people free, right? And who the Son makes free is free indeed. So we want to walk in that, and, and I'm not discounting the books, I own a lot of them, but... I also find that there are times when, like I've sat with people who are are believing God for a healing and, you know, you kind of go through the list of stuff that we can do and should do and whatever. And, you know, even my dad, when he was passing and he was like, honestly, should it be this hard? Should it be that? Not really. No, it shouldn't. It shouldn't be this hard to chase down things. But if we step back from what we want to see happen and we step into what God intends to happen... The keys are easy to use. So we're going to walk through this from that perspective today. So number one, the kingdom of God changes your life. Changes your life. So picking up from Matthew 5, 3 to 10. Now, this is what we just heard saying over us. And you are going to wake up with it every morning this week, I guarantee you. Because I have every day this past week. So, um, but this blessed are. So Matthew 5, 3 to 10 starts off, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So these are what we call the Beatitudes in your Bible. They're labeled the Beatitudes. And I remember hearing uh, somebody teaching that they are the Beatitudes because these are the attitudes we should have. That's wrong, by the way. If they were exactly the attitudes that we should be having, then there would not be an answer to them. But there is. So when... 
Jesus addresses, here's your initial condition, and here's the kingdom answer to it. It means that we, it's, it's not about we strive to be meek, we strive to be poor in spirit, we strive, that's garbage. We, we find ourselves, you know, we find ourselves in these life conditions sometimes, and Jesus' point is there's always a kingdom answer to it. There is whatever state you find yourself in, the kingdom has an answer for it. And so whether it needs to be remedied or whether it empowers something, there is a kingdom answer. So we find, we start at the beginning, blessed are the poor in spirit. We don't want to strive to be poor in spirit, but I tell you, most of us after these two years, we're feeling pretty poor in spirit. There's, there's some stuff on the inside that has been depleted. Jesus is saying when, when that's your state, when there's, a, there's something on the inside that is feeling weakened, it's feeling broken down, the answer is yours is the kingdom of heaven. It means that there's, a, there's an answer for you in the kingdom of heaven. God knows he's not saying suck it up and deal with it. He's not saying just get over it. Everybody's going through a hard time. He's saying as you are dealing with this case, this situation of heart, come to me. And you're going to find the solution in the kingdom of heaven. There's an answer for you there. He he goes on and he says, um, blessed are those who mourn. So again, the concept of these are the attitudes we should be having, that doesn't make a lot of sense. But we do mourn and we do grieve and there are issues and we are wrong in the body of Christ when we tell people to just deal with it. Praise God, there's people, there's joy on the other side. You've lost somebody or lost something. Jesus didn't say that. He said, when you are mourning, when there's something, there's been a loss, you will be comforted. He's saying that when you have that condition, you don't hide from me until that condition is resolved. You come to me to have that condition resolved. You come to me and I am the place where when you come with that grief, I'll give it a place to land. And and weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. The way through the grieving process, the way through the morning, and, and loss of people, loss of relationships, loss of finances, loss of businesses, It has been two years of loss. I'm telling you, today God is saying you need to come into the kingdom, bring me that place of loss, bring me that place of mourning, bring me that place of grief, and you will be comforted. There's going to be an answer for you in the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Those who are humble on the inside, those who are, are in that place where they're, they're, they're lowly, it doesn't mean that you're groveling on the ground and I'm just such a dirtbag. Jesus, if you could please just look at me. No, it, it means that when you come in that place of humility and you know that God is everything, you get to actually experience the fullness that he's placed in front of you. Like, do you see the contrast that's happening there? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Literally, it's talking about a spiritual pursuit. So what has happened in church circles in the past is that people who are just pursuing spirituality have bumped into these walls in the church because we're like, well, that's, that's just wrong that you would be pursuing that or you'd be, you shouldn't be open to that. And this is true. But Jesus says, if you're searching honestly, you're spiritually hungry and thirsty, there is a kingdom answer for you. And I will find you at the right time, at the right place, in the right way. I will meet you. I will encounter you. And this is the nature of people in this this current uh, season. There's been so many reports globally of people, you know, Muslims, um, people who are in all kinds of different religions who have a very specific mindset of who God is and what God requires. And they're having dreams. They're having encounters. Jesus is manifesting himself. There are people who are legitimately hungering and thirsting after righteousness. They might be barking up the wrong tree, but Jesus finds them there. He's like, if you're pursuing, I'll make sure that you find me. I'll make sure this is how the kingdom operates. So there's a, there's a state in us that always finds its answer, answer in God. So the encounter then changes everything. The encounter that we have, whether it's they receive mercy, they are filled, they are comforted, they are called the sons of God. What we receive then become our keys moving forward. 
There are these keys from heaven that now I have this revelation. I have this key that I'll never turn back on again. I have a key to move forward with. This is my new reality. Matthew 10, or sorry, I'm going to go Matthew 9, 35 is describing Jesus's everyday today situation when he's, he's operating in these keys. And it says, then Jesus went about to all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So Jesus is out there preaching the kingdom the kingdom of God, this is our pursuit. The kingdom is not a belief system. It's an identity. It's who we are. It's where we belong. It's, it's our actual home. It's our lifeline. He begins teaching this, and he begins healing people. So they, they encounter this release. They encounter this answer from God. Whether they knew what they were needing or not, they experience the manifestation. When I hear the kingdom, I experience freedom. Yeah. Fair enough? So he's out there, he's preaching it, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Then if we go a few verses later, Matthew 10, 7 to 8, he's sending out the disciples now who have seen all of this before. They have experienced when the kingdom of God is moving, freedom happens. When the kingdom of God is present, freedom happens. They've, they've seen it. They've experienced it. I'm telling you, in this house, I, I, if, we, if we had full seats because you guys just like the atmosphere, that would be a failure. I believe our seats are filling up because we're experiencing freedom. The kingdom of God is active and there are lives being changed. All of ours really to the degree that we're pressing into it. So he sends out the disciples then, and he says in verse 7, As you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. No small things. Freely you have received, freely give. He's saying you have experienced what the key looks like. You've experienced that when the kingdom is here, the kingdom unlocks things. The kingdom begins to unlock and liberate people. There's freedom that happens. Now, as you go out, you go and you preach the kingdom and do the same stuff. Can you imagine getting, the, I mean, some of us are scared to sign up for the cafe, you know, to volunteer or whatever. Can you imagine getting sent out? Can, you're on um, casting out the demon duty for this week. And, and next week it's going to be raising the dead. So are you okay with that? That's the rotation. Week four, good for you for raising the dead. Okay, good. You know, but this is what they get told this like it's just nothing. Like, it, this is just a byproduct of the kingdom. And we're like, we can't deal with basic addictions, God. We're so overwhelmed. Raise the dead. I mean, the, the possibilities in the kingdom are quite endless. I like how Daniel Kalenda addresses it. He says, Jesus didn't heal the sick to prove that he could. He healed the sick to prove that you could. <laughs> He didn't heal the sick to prove that he could. He healed the sick to prove that you could. And we know that when Jesus was leaving, he said that greater things than these shall you do. We have the same access to the kingdom should we choose to step into it. This is marvelous. This is mind-blowing. But we have this thing that has happened, I believe, over the course of time where the situations of life, um, whether it's you know, religious upbringing, whether we've prayed for certain things and we didn't feel like we got the answer that we wanted or whatever, most of us need a good shaking up on the inside to expect this. Most of us have drifted into a mindset that says, well, I, I mean, I know, I know the Bible says that, but that hasn't been my experience. My experience may produce facts, but it does not produce the truth. My experience may produce facts, but it does not produce the truth. The truth is what God says. And if I'm not experiencing what God says, then I am subject to change. He isn't. I can change. I can learn. I can grow. And in ever-increasing measures, I want to experience the kingdom. I am blown away. We, you know, just I, I love on purpose spending time with some of our new believers right now because they're jacked up. If you haven't spent time with somebody who's recently saved, do it. Do it. 
because the, the newness of like, this is what I'm experiencing. I love hearing, you know, you, you had mentioned last week, Jesus is just so good. When was the last time you sat there and you're so overwhelmed that all you can say is Jesus is just so good, right? Some of us are so caught in our life and our stuff, you know, busyness and whatever. We forget to pause and, and recognize what we have been liberated from and begin to just celebrate and say, Jesus is just so good. We'll be like, I don't really feel like singing that song right now. I don't really like it. I find that preacher kind of boring. That one's just, I don't, I can't, I can't receive from that. And, you know, the longer we get saved, if we don't stay in kingdom pursuit, we turn into something that we were never intended to be. But we are meant to be, the more we live in the kingdom, the more we're like, no, 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 wait, you're a new believer. You think Jesus is good. Wait till I tell you how good he is. Like, let me tell you what 20 years of experience of good looks like. Jesus is so good. So good. When, when you see not just first generation freedom, but it starts to trickle down your family lines and you see people blessed and multiplying and increase and you see the favor of God in action. He is so good. So good. And so God's right. Come on now. I mean, when we, when we sing, and I understand that on a Sunday morning, we're coming in here and we've been, you know, whatever happens Sunday morning on the way here, but, um, you know, we get here and sometimes it's like a cold start, you know, and we're like, I mean, we literally sang opening song was you are good, right? And it takes us till about the final chorus to sort of start singing fully. But if we're walking in the goodness of God, you know. The, the psalmist said, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I believe what that is about is he was like, I'm so full of celebration and praise, but I can't even praise big enough. I mean, David was the guy who was like, he's dancing in his underwear in the streets. He was so celebratory. So he was like, I need to, I need to like, I need more praise. I need like I, the, the expression of who God is. I just, I can't even get there. Can, can you sing with me? Let's clap together. Let's shout together. Let's sing together. He's so, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. When we come in on a Sunday morning, if I've already been living and he's so good, and that kick drum starts, I'm like, oh, come on. He's so good. And you know? And it doesn't take 25 minutes to get into it. I am in that place of, I'm so glad there are people here to magnify the Lord with me. We are exalting his name together. There is a celebration that comes up on the inside of me because I know who he is. I know that goodness. There's an expression that comes out of my life. He has transformed me. So again, number one, the kingdom of God changes your life. Yeah. Number two, the kingdom then has keys. The kingdom has keys. So if God is that good and the possibilities are that broad and the experience is that, that expansive, why don't we always live in it? How come we don't you know, come to know Jesus and everything is perfect right away? Often it's because of the keys. And so the keys are basically tools that operate the principles of the kingdom. So there are rules, there are, there are ways that the kingdom works, and we don't always know them right away. And what's really fun, again, especially people who are new to the faith, I, I believe God loves that we come with that childlike heart. And he just like, he just like deposits things on us. And we experience them. But as we grow up, as we mature, we learn to do it more purposefully. We're, we're deliberate in how we engage the keys. So many times we get caught on the principles, but we lose track of the keys. So I come to God and I find out that anything is possible. Yes, God provides my needs. Yes, God can heal me when I'm sick. Yes, God can restore relationships. Yes, God can deal with addictions. Yes, God gives me a hope and a future that there's a destiny and a purpose for me. And what I can bump into are these principles of the kingdom that tend to come with somebody else's keys that don't always work for me. So for instance, um, somebody might, you, you might be like, I'm just really believing on the provision of God. 
And somebody will come to you with a 12-step thing on finances. And it will start with tithing, which is a kingdom principle. And it will come with sowing and reaping. And it will you know, come with all these different things that are kingdom principles. But ultimately, God says that he, he loves a cheerful giver. So we can get caught up on these principles, these, these packagings of how the kingdom works, and we lose the heart. And when we first started into the kingdom, we had the heart for it. We, we had the thing. We, we, we can have these principles where, you know, we know that the word says, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. If anyone is sick among you, have the elders of the church come and anoint them with oil and lay hands on them and they'll be healed. We know that if two or three agree together as touching anything, it shall be done for them. We know these principles, and, but people don't always get healed all the time. Isn't it interesting that when Jesus was healing people, sometimes he spoke a word, sometimes he laid hands on them, sometimes he spit in the mud and rubbed the smear in their eyes. He didn't always even do the same thing twice. So we can get so caught up on principles that we miss the heart behind it, which is essentially that Jesus never did anything that the father didn't tell him to do in the first place. The principles are good. They're good. This is how the kingdom works. But the keys help us know how it works, how to apply it, how to engage it. So Matthew 16, 13 to 18, just, I'm going to open it up here. Matthew 16, this would be a good one to underline if you've got or highlight in your digital Bibles. <laughs> By pressing all, I know. I've recently found out that I sound like an old lady when I say open your Bibles, but. So. Open your phones and your devices and highlight accordingly. <laughs> Starting at verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they said, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You're the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell shall not prevail against it. So Peter has this kingdom revelation Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, as we've been talking about kingdom, kingdom is accessed by becoming sons or daughters, correct? And we know that the basic entrance is if we believe in our heart, confess with our mouth, this is, this is the connection. So Peter is in this moment, he's addressing, he's saying, I believe, I know that you are the son of God. So it tells us that he stepped into a kingdom revelation and the father has invited him into this. He's experiencing a kingdom um, access point. And Jesus says, you know, talks about his destiny. And then he says, on this rock, I will build my church. Not on Peter, but on this revelation that Peter has. On this revelation that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the king of the kingdom. I have this revelation that you are the Messiah that we're waiting for. And on this rock, on this cornerstone, on this core reality, I will build my church. I will build this thing that comes out of it. Now, most of us, how many churches do you have in your town? Right? There's 65, I believe, in our, church, in our city. I know. You thought this was the only one. There's a lot, but church does not mean what we think church means. And this is one of the key things. We, t we say it just in general. We, we know church is not a building, it's people, it's whatever. It's more than that. And specifically, the word that he uses is the word ecclesia. And a lot of you have heard this. This is going to be review for some, brand new for others. But he's saying, on this rock, I will build my ecclesia. And an ecclesia is not a churchy word. It's not a religious word. It's a governmental word. It's something that makes decisions. It's a governing body. So literally it means a gathering or an assembly, a governing body. And so the history of it goes back uh, five centuries BC. The Greek um, 
beginnings of democracy into the Roman mindset behind it. It was this gathering that would happen where there were matters to be discussed, decisions to be made, uh, cases to be decided, where there would be a gathering of people who came together and they viewed what was, what was needing to be done and they made a decision and they governmentally enforced it. They governmentally positioned it. And so Jesus is saying to Peter, the fact that you understand the kingdom, there's a basic, there's a revelation that I'm, I'm God. I'm the Messiah that you've been waiting for. This revelation that you have on this, I'm going to build my governing body on the earth and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, I mean, honestly, there are so many levels of understanding on this one, but the, the thing that I used to hear was, you know, the gates of hell, do, when, when all hell's coming against you, you know, the gates of hell do not get to prevail. Well, gates don't move. So, okay, so when the gates are there and the gates of hell do not get to prevail against the church, so the church presses in and pushes down the gates. Is it possible that there's a better way? It's saying that there's this governing body that Jesus, that, that can develop out of a group of people that understand the kingdom. They can gather together and there can be this, this revelation that begins to change things in the atmosphere. It, it's a shift that happens when you start to have a revelation of, of freedom. You start to have a revelation of purity, of holiness, of righteousness, that in your own house, for starters... Maybe there's been some gates that have been set up that hell has broken loose in your house. And you're like, wait a minute. I'm not putting up with this anymore. I have this revelation of the kingdom. And I know that something bigger on the inside of me is present. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. This thing doesn't get to be in my house anymore. And so I'm going to deal with these gates from a position of authority as part of a governing body with a king who is behind me on this one. I stand in his authority. And what if I do something wild and crazy like turn a key? Matthew 16, 19, so just carry on a little bit bigger, a little bit further. It says, and, so prior to that, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. I don't have to knock down the devil's door. I don't have to do any like major aggressive. If I have keys, I can handle it. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes this stuff is like, we get so worked up about it and, and people are terrified. It's like you've been saved for six months and people are like, we're doing a spiritual warfare class. And you're like, okay, what, what's that going to look like? Well, what if it was as simple as, do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Do you believe that he died on the cross, that he rose again, that he has the keys of life and death, that all authority has been given to him and he delegates us to operate as his ecclesia on the earth. And so I'm going to take the keys that he gives me and we're going to handle some stuff once and for all. What if it's literally that simple, right? Biblically speaking, it is. Now we've all been in measures of warfare and we know that there's stuff that we bump against, but I really believe that God in this season is bringing us down to the simplest possible options where we understand his keys. So looking at this verse, verse 19, really big deal. Who do the keys belong to? Everybody's like, it's a trick question. <laughs> They're the keys of the kingdom. So they belong to the kingdom, but what are the keys for? says that they are for binding and loosing. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. But who gets to use them? I'm giving you the keys. So they're God's keys. They're the kingdom keys. They're the kingdom things that open doors and close doors. They are for the purpose of binding and loosing. We never bind anything that is not like we're operating in the principles of God. So we're not binding people or anything like that, that is straight witchcraft, we'll cover that next week. But we, are, we got keys, if you find somebody 
who is bound in circumstances, in demonic issues, in, in like long-term generational junk, whatever, it's possible that there's a key for that, that God wants you to use to help set them free. It's absolutely what Jesus did. The, the story when he went through, um, he was ministering to a woman, Luke 13, and he says, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. She'd been sick for 18 years. She didn't need a healing. She needed a deliverance. She needed something to loose off of her. Something had been binding her for, for this long period of time. And Jesus came, and just as an extension of the kingdom, he began to turn keys. He began to do stuff that was just right in front of him. So number three, and we're going to finish with this one and just plant the seed for next week. The keys require knowledge. So there's all these keys out there, but it's like getting this bag of keys handed to you. Like you get saved, you have access to all the keys because they're the kingdom's keys and the kingdom is available to us. So you got this bag of keys. What are they for? And you know, even I heard, overheard um, Pastor Brad and Pastor George this week, but we've got like all these rental properties and stuff around the building and whatever. And I heard them saying, does anybody know what these keys are for? Because... For whatever reason, however many times we've changed locks, the keys just start to build up. And they're all labeled, like, you know, the key for the rental house and the key for the storage shed. And well, we got multiple storage sheds. And what, what point did we change the lock on that and whatever? If you don't know what the key is for, you might as well have no key. Right? If you don't understand what it does, there's no point having it. And so knowledge is necessary to know what the key is for. But unmistakably keys in the hands of, of the kingdom are about releasing things opening things when you look at jesus's description we talked about it the last many many weeks when jesus got up and he quoted isaiah and he said the spirit of the lord god is upon me it was about opening liberating freeing healing recovery this is what the keys are for so we should want to know what they're for if you got handed a bag of keys, you would not assume that they were for anything bad, would you? You would assume it's either for a car, a house, a business, you know, a lockbox. Somebody says, you know, so-and-so left your name in their will. There's a key for you to pick up at the lawyer's office. You're like, Jesus, thank you. Because you know that key's going to be for something good. That key's going to be for a lockbox, or it's going to be for like, you know, something that you've inherited that's going to be good. Even in its most desperate case, a key is for, you know, unlocking chains, unlocking handcuffs, unlocking bondages. The keys are for freedom, right? The Bible is full of the keys, and we want to make sure that we don't say, well, I tried that key, and, so, and it didn't work, and so obviously that's meant to stay closed. Maybe you need a different key. If God has said that these are the promises that you can avail yourself to, if he says, forget not all my benefits, you know, if, if there's stuff that is promised to us in our relationship with him and we haven't been able to lay hold of it, it's just possible that we haven't caught the right key yet. It's possible that, that we don't maybe know how to use the key even that we've got. But it's not possible that God would lie. Right? It's not possible that God would lie to us. So what he says is possible is possible. So just a quick walk down here. This is going to be enlightening for us. Matthew 23, 13. Jesus is chastising people in this passage. And he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. You neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those entering to go in. You had keys and you didn't want to use them. And you don't let anybody else use them either. Woe to you. In other words, there is judgment coming to you because you did not, you withheld the keys of the kingdom of heaven from those who actually wanted to enter. And we know that even from the, the beginning of the law, you know, Old Testament, there, there was a massive chunk of laws. By the time Jesus came, there was way more because they just kept adding on. It got to the point where when Jesus was healing people, the Pharisees were so overwhelmed by the fact that this was being done against the law that, it, you know, it's on the wrong day of the week. They couldn't see that somebody just got set free. 
They, they lost sight of what the keys were for. And then in Luke eleven fifty two, he hits them again. And he says, woe to you lawyers. Now, I don't think he's talking about our kind of lawyers. So for those in the house who serve in the law, we love you. But woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves and those who were entering you hindered. So when in the first verse in Matthew, he says, you have shut up the kingdom of heaven. And in the second verse in Luke, he's saying, you've taken away the key of knowledge. So how did he shut up the kingdom? How did they shut up the kingdom of heaven? By taking away the key of knowledge. Fair enough? It's the same passage. It's the same, same walkthrough. You didn't want to go in. You didn't let anybody else go in. You kept for yourself the key of knowledge. You didn't, you didn't give it where it needed to be going. And so knowledge is found in his presence. It's this basic thing. We are found in his presence. You didn't want to go in and you did not let, you hindered those who wanted to go in. You withheld the key of knowledge. Go in where? Into his presence, into his courts, into that place of relationship. They didn't want to engage God. They got so caught up on the principles, the principle of the thing that they missed the relationship, withheld the key of knowledge. And from that place, nobody really was able to engage. What is it God wants for us? What is it God wants from us? What is it God wants to do with us? There is a knowing that is required to using the keys properly. And this is where I want to leave us with today. This knowing only comes through relationship. You can read the 95 books I mentioned and still have none of the keys work. If we don't have the relationship, it is pointless. It's having a bag of keys and we're standing there trying to get the lock and we just, nothing ever works. What if in the relationship, God's able to point out to you exactly which key at what time and how you should use it? Wouldn't that be helpful? Like, honestly, wouldn't that be just like life-giving? Hebrews 8, 11. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. What he's talking about is this shift into uh, the new covenant where, where in the Old Testament, you had to come and engage God through a mediary. New Testament, you get to know God. The Spirit of God lives in you. What I believe this is saying in the context of what we're talking about today is I can get some know God from other people, but until I know God on the inside, I miss the point of it. I can't work the keys properly. And so the, the outside of it, the, uh, no one shall uh, say to his brother, know the Lord. That is a learned um, you know, you spend time, you study, you take it in. He's saying that that's one way of learning, but each one of you can know God. In other words, you have this inner knowing. So until you have time to study all the stuff, to read all the books, maybe you need a breakthrough in your health. Maybe you need a breakthrough in your marriage. Maybe you need a breakthrough in your finances. Maybe you need a breakthrough in your workplace. Maybe you need a breakthrough of favor. You know, you've got a breakthrough in addictions that you're needing, whatever it is. Until such time as God directs you to a place to study and there's tools that you need to apply, know him. Spend time with him and ask him what you should do. And there are things like, for instance, we can say sowing and reaping. You need, you need financial blessing. You need you know, a return, sowing and reaping. Do you know there's all kinds of different guidelines or rules about where to sow? It needs to go to good ground. There, there's times when you should be sowing to those who are, you know, or you're giving alms to those who are needing because they need. And there's times when you're sowing for an increase and you sow to people who don't actually have a visible need, but that's where God tells you to put it. It's good soil. There's ministries that you should give to and ministries that you probably shouldn't to. There's, there's, there's specifics that God will help you know what key at what time in what way. There's times when he tells you to fast and pray, and there's times when he tells you to just stay in peace and let it go. There are times when he tells you to get up early in the morning and, and engage him first things. There's times when he tells you to just rest in him. There is no blanket across the board. What is consistent is knowing him and seeking his face. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace 
that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. So this specific knowing is, let me come boldly. We talked about this at Pursuit the other night. Uh, the word boldly, one of the definitions for it means with plainness of speech or simpleness of speech. In other words, come into his presence, bring your question, and then shut up. Some of us are coming in and God, according to your word, your word says this and this and this and this, and I'm claiming this scripture and I'm standing on this word and I'm, you know, and my heart's not really engaged to it. I'm just repeating this thing that I've got off a page and I'm repeating it and I'm, I'm calling you to be faithful to your word. And I think sometimes God's like, are you done? Because really there's a simple solution for this. You know, there, there are times to stand and speak the word and there's times to be still and know that he is God. Come boldly into his presence. Engage him in prayer. Engage him in worship. Come, bring your petition, bring your request, and ask him. I'm challenging us this week. Ask him, what's the key that I need for this situation, and what do I do next? And listen. Do what he tells you to do. It's interesting to me that Jesus, who is God, was God when he was on the earth, every day, went and spent time with his father and said, I only do what I see the father do and I only say what I hear the father say. He got the keys for the day. Some of us need to pick up the, the keys for our day, for our situations, for our life. I'm gonna have the worship team come. We're gonna close. I think our kids are done. Does that give you something to think about today? The challenge is the hope, right? Because if we, have, if we say, I've tried that before and it didn't work, and I no longer hope, maybe we just need a new key. Maybe there's a new situation, right? Let's stand. Thank you, God. Indeed, I Whew, Thank you, Lord. So, God, we thank you today for your word. We thank you, God, for the keys of the kingdom. We thank you, Lord, that we don't always have to bash down the gates of Hades, but sometimes you just give us a key to unlock things that need to be unlocked. That there's freedom for our lives, for our bodies, for our marriages, for our finances, God, for our neighborhoods, for our workplaces. There is freedom that is the nature of heaven meant to be released through our lives, God. I thank you for the example that Jesus gave when he preached the kingdom. And he operated in freedom and setting people free. God, I thank you that as we live in the kingdom, we experience your freedom and we pour out your freedom, God. I thank you, Lord, that the keys that are available to us, you help us to know one at a time what to use. You help us to know when to fast, when to pray, when to seek, when to worship, when to be quiet, when to rest, when to go, when to watch our words. God, you show us how to use the keys. And the keys will bring freedom. They will bring hope. They will bring that governmental authority that's meant to be released upon the earth. Lord, I thank you that you have called us to be your ecclesia. You have called us to come and to, to make those judgments with you, God. That what you say is right, we say is right. What you say is wrong, we say is wrong. When you say to go, we say go. When you say to stop, we say stop. We partner with you and your rulership, God, your authority. And we thank you for the keys of the kingdom. I pray that for each one of us, God, if there's an area of our lives where we have, we believe something for a long time and maybe we just didn't see it come to pass and we have blamed you, we've become discouraged, we've changed our philosophy or our theology based on our experience. God, I thank you that this week as we meditate on your word, God, you begin to show us keys and we with simple faith as though we're seeing it for the very first time God we choose to see the keys we choose to look at the keys we choose to come into your presence and ask you which key in which way for which place at which time and God we thank you that the product of our lives is the product of your life life and life abundantly and we thank you for it Lord in Jesus name amen Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at Victory Church GP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.victorygp.com. 
You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.